Joe Collins. It's nice to be here this morning, and thank you for your attention and time, and I appreciate the brothers leading us in a time of worship, and Masood sharing uh, a little bit about himself in the communion, and it is great to, to connect with each other, but it's also always great to connect uh, with God. As you know, we are in a series, uh, Jesus Worth Following. Uh, we're, we're basically following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, there were these three men that went out hunting. A doctor, a lawyer, and a preacher. And they go out, and they're on a hunting trip. And while they're walking around, they see this beautiful buck come out of the woods. And, and immediately, all three raise their rifles, and they all shoot at the same time. And the, and the, the buck just drops to the ground. So they, they run up there as quick as they can. And, and when they get there, they realize that the, the buck had only been hit by one bullet. And so immediately, they start arguing over who, who took it down, you know, whose shot hit the buck. And as they're arguing and going back and forth, a game warden shows up, and he, he says to them, what are you, what's going on here? And they say, well, you know, we, we were walking through the woods hunting. This buck came out. We all shot at the same time, but only one of us hit it, and we're arguing about who actually made the shot, who took the buck down. And the game warden said, you know, I might be able to help you with that. Let me take a look at the animal, and uh, I'll let you know what I think. And they go, well, go ahead. So the warden turns around takes one look at the animal, turns back around, goes, I know who took the shot. And they're like, wait a second. How could you have done that? You just looked at it just one time. And he goes, easy. The preacher got the buck. And the other guys are like, no, I don't believe you. You, you got to look again. He said, no, without a shadow of a doubt, the preacher is the one who got the buck. And they finally said, well, well, how do you know? I mean, how can you know for sure? And he said, because the bullet went in one ear and right out the other. You know, I think Jesus felt that way a lot. If we've been studying our, our gospel, if you've been in a part of this series in the gospel of Mark, you know that Jesus probably was, you know, was felt that way a lot about people. It was like whenever he spoke, it just seemed to go in one ear and out the other of other people's minds. Sometimes we're like that. We sit in church and, and we're listening to the Bible or we're trying to, we're trying to have a, a prayer time and we're trying to listen to God. And, and it's just like it goes in one ear and right out the other. I know as a parent this seems to happen a lot with my kids. In one ear and out the other. But I know it happens with me. I'm sure my wife would tell you. In one ear and out with the other. So today we're going to talk a little bit about listening. Because it's really important that we learn how to listen when, when people speak, but especially when Jesus speaks. So we're going to turn over to Mark chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, but before we, go, uh, before we do, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning, and we do pray for your spirit to be with us, to speak through, to speak to me, um, through me, to everyone here, and to me as well. God, please move me aside and help us to hear your voice in the, in the passage that we're about to read. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, if you've been a part of our series you know that what we're looking at here in the Gospel of Mark is number five, uh, is, is the fifth in a series of five conflicts that Jesus had with religious leaders. 
for the past four weeks, we've been going through each of these conflicts one at a time. The first one had to do with Jesus claiming to forgive people's sins. That was a, a blasphemous claim to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, other religious or devout believers in, in the Jewish faith because only God could forgive sins. Another thing that they, they had a problem with is that he ate with sinners and tax collectors. They had, a real, they had a real beef with him over that issue. And not only did he eat with them, but he, he allowed one of them, a man named Levi, to be one of his full-time followers. And that was a problem because, hey, if you are someone special, if you are God, you should know the company you're keeping. Thirdly, they had a problem with Jesus not fasting when they were fasting. And we had a whole long conversation about what fasting means. But the, the, the point basically Jesus made was, look, what I'm teaching, my message, my method is not the old way. This is something new. And he talked about a new garment and a new wineskin. And he was really describing to them how what he was doing was something different than what they were doing. And so he was really exposing the difference between them. And that was another reason they had a problem with him. And then last week and this week, the last two conflicts and really the two conflicts that sort of pushed that broke the camel's back, that that sort of pushed the 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 religious leaders away from Jesus for good had to do with his honoring of the Sabbath. Last week, we talked about how his disciples would eat. They would just pluck some grain as they would walk along on the Sabbath. And, and for some reason, the Pharisees felt like that was a violation of Sabbath law. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And even plucking a few heads of grain was somehow in their mind equated with reaping, which is working. And that was a problem. And Jesus is like, that is ridiculous. That's not at all what the Sabbath law is about. You're completely missing the point. And then we come to this problem on the Sabbath. And this time, they're in a synagogue. We don't know where. There's our map that we use every week of Palestine. This story could have taken place at any point in time in Jesus' ministry. So it could have taken place basically anywhere on that map. We don't know for sure where and when this exactly happened. I guess it happened probably somewhere in Galilee, quite possibly in the synagogue in Galilee, uh, in, in the city of Capernaum up in Galilee, because Capernaum was Jesus' home city. He did spend a lot of time there. It was his adopted home city. He did live in Simon Andrew's house in Capernaum, and that was the synagogue that they would have worshipped a lot in. So there's a good chance it happened up there, but we don't know for sure, and it doesn't really matter, because Mark is really not trying to walk us at this point through a chronology of Jesus' life. Instead, what he's wanting to do is he's wanting us to sort of understand what the beefs people had with him were about. And, and so here we are, the final beef that, that people had with Jesus had to do with the Sabbath. Again, his, his willingness or his, his adherence to or his, or his you know, stance on what does it mean to keep the Sabbath. This was what the conflict is all about. Verse 2, it says, some of them. Now, who is the son of them? Uh, the sum of them. Well, in, in the Gospel of Luke, which tells us a, 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 the parallel story to this, Luke records the same thing. He adds a little bit of information. He tells us that it was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That was the sum of them. Jesus tended to have a problem with the people who considered themselves more devout in the Jewish community at the time. And that would be the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes, the priests, and then any other Jewish uh, believer who really... Uh, uh, felt themselves to be uh, uh, holding themselves to a higher standard according to the, the law that they, that they uh, followed. And so this is who is the sum of them. And it says that they were there to accuse him. That's why they were there. 
Now, I don't know why you're here. I hope you're not here to accuse me. You know, I am not Jesus. So hopefully that makes it better, right? I'm not him, so don't expect me to be perfect. John is not Jesus. Any of the guys up here before me or after me or the ladies, none of us are Jesus. So, yeah, there's a lot wrong with us. Don't accuse us. What we're trying to do is just reflect as best we can, imperfectly as it is, Jesus to you. But sometimes we come to church and we aren't there with the right mindset. It does happen. I've done it many times. I've gone to church and I've sat there and I can give you a great critique on any message I've ever heard. Because I can lay it all out. Well, you should have done this. You should have done that. And, you know, and we all do that to some degree. But there's a point where when we do that enough, we are no longer listening. We're no longer there for the reason we are supposed to be there. And that's what's happened here. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law are there in the synagogue, but they're not actually there to worship like they should be. They're actually there looking for a reason. They're looking to find fault with Jesus Christ. And whatever he was saying or doing was just going in one ear and right out the other because they were there to find fault. It says that they watched him closely. You know, this is an ironic thing to me because when, you, when, when they went to church, they were there to really watch closely God. That was the, that was the mindset. That's, that's why they went to synagogue, to, to listen to the, the readings from the Torah, to pray, to meditate, but to really put all their eyes, all their attention on God. Well, we in the Christian era, because we believe Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah, we come to church and, and, and really we come here to watch Jesus. And it's ironic because that's exactly what they were doing, but they were doing it with completely different motives. We're here, hopefully, with good intentions to look at Jesus and to try to get something from him that's going to help us, that's going to minister to us, that's going to build our faith. They were there looking at him closely, but for the wrong reasons. And what was it that they were looking for him to do? And this is mind-blowing, but think about it. What was it that they were trying to get? What was so grievous? that, that they, they had to watch him, that Jesus might do? What was the crime he was about to commit? It wasn't that he was going to show up drunk. It wasn't that he was going to teach some false teaching. No, what they were upset about is he might actually help someone on the Sabbath. He might actually do something for someone at a time and place that they considered inappropriate. That was his crime? That was the thing that was so offensive to them. That's, this is how crazy they had gotten in their, in their mentality about the Sabbath. You know, in the Old Testament, the law refers to the law of Moses, what we call the Ten Commandments. The, the law of Moses is about 650 some odd commands that can basically be summed up in the, the first ten. Okay? So that's why it's called the Ten Commandments. And it was given to Moses. That's why it's also called the law of Moses. But technically, there were about 600 some odd laws. Now, over the centuries, the Jews would add additional laws to the, to the laws to try to ensure that no one would break one of the core laws. And they called those additional laws the tradition of the elders. And so to them, it was very important to uphold the tradition of the elders because the tradition of the elders was protecting them from violating any one of the 600 some odd commands in the law 
of Moses. I'm going to tell you something mind-blowing. Something I, I've discovered in my studying that I'm told is, is, is the truth. Regarding the law about the Sabbath, about resting and worshiping on the Sabbath, the Pharisees, by the time of Jesus Christ, had over 1,500 laws on how to keep the Sabbath. They had a whole other set of laws, a whole other rule book, just for this one command. Has anybody ever had to go to court for any, like a, tick, a traffic ticket and then tried to defend your case by using the, the, the law, you know, the, the, the vehicle code law? I did once. I was uh, young, early, te- late teens, and uh, this was back when it was okay to have people in the back of your truck. It wasn't illegal yet. And we were out uh, driving around, and I had some friends in the back of the truck, and I got pulled over, and I got a ticket for having people in the back of the truck. And the officer made them get out. It was like 2 in the morning, and they were, some of them were girls, and he made them, he just left them on the corner. He made me leave and left them on the corner. I, I, I was trying to get them home. Anyways, big, big to-do. I got really angry. I talked to an officer who told me that's not the law. He pulled out his vehicle code book, and we, we read that it said... At that time, it's changed now, but at that that time, the first code said, no one is allowed to sit in a vehicle not designed for people to sit in, right? So that meant, okay, they can't be in the back of the truck. It's not designed for that. But then under that, there was a sub-law that said, uh, unless they're in a load-bearing part of the vehicle, which is the bed of a truck. And, And my point I'm trying to make is that vehicle code is huge. I mean, there is so many specifics and little this, but then not this, and et cetera. Well, that's what the Jews had done in the time of Jesus to the Ten Commandments. It was already hard enough to try to live up to 650 commands. They added thousands of others. Craziness by the time we get to Jesus. You know, it's so funny because for me, I think about my life, and you know, I am kind of crazy. If I if I want to do something, you know, I, I will start creating rules about what I need to do. And I'll come up with some wacky rules for my life. So, for instance, uh, as a young man, you start to wonder, when are you going too far uh, uh, with, with uh, you know, if you're on a date with someone? When is too far too far? You know, is it holding hands? Is it hugging? Is it kissing? Is it passionate? Kiss? It's on and on and on, right? And we start to try to figure out where the line is, right? And so we come up with these crazy rules. Well, I'm, I'll do that, but not this. And we do this in all areas of our life. We will create these rules around ourselves, but none of them oftentimes are really biblical. They're just rules that we make up. And left to our own devices, we do weird things. And the Pharisees were no different. Left to their own devices, good intentions and all, they created some weird guidelines for everyone else to follow in order to not violate the Sabbath. Let me tell you one of them. Just one example of a crazy rule. They had a rule that you could heal someone on the Sabbath only if it was life-threatening. And so that's why they're looking to accuse him. Because this guy had a shriveled hand, but it wasn't life-threatening. So, boy, are you wrong, Jesus. You can't help this guy because he's not in danger. Wait till Monday. Now, that's still better than some of our HMO plans, right? I mean, they, we got to wait like weeks to get service. Okay, so they still are a little bit ahead of us, and I appreciate that. But 
this poor guy is there to get help. We don't know what's wrong with him. It doesn't specify the problem, but we know this. It hurt his quality of life. It made his life less. And there he was, a man in need in the synagogue, and Jesus comes in, and what does Jesus do? He meets needs. And it doesn't matter whether it's the Sabbath or whether it's Monday, uh, you know, Sunday to, to Friday. If there is a need, Jesus was going to meet it because he cared about the person. And, and, and yet the Pharisees are there, and they're going, oh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Because they had some wacky idea of what it meant to honor the Sabbath. The fact of the matter is, the Pharisees, by the time of Jesus, weren't listening anymore to the word of God. They had gotten so caught up in their own rule book that they devised for themselves to make their life, I guess, better in their minds and everybody else's life better, that they had completely lost the spirit and the original intent of the law. They just, they just weren't listening anymore. I cannot stress enough how important it is to be a good listener. We got to get better at this. This is a problem that you and I have as people. We are not good listeners. For whatever the case may be, whether it's we have a lot going on in our life, whether we're just a little slow in processing, it doesn't matter. I'm not condemning anyone. I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. We have to work at listening. It's a muscle we have to exercise and work with to get better at. And so as we go through the rest of this study, I'm going to do my best to teach the passage. But as an underlying context, as an underlying thing I want to I weave through this, the rest of this little lesson here, is I want to work on how to make us be better listeners. After all, this is the fifth of the, of, of, of the five conflicts that Mark tells us really uh, put Jesus at odds with people. And if, had they just been better listeners, we wouldn't even have been there. I mean, these things all could have been resolved pretty simply. As a matter of fact, after every conflict, Jesus gave the appropriate teaching, but because they wouldn't listen, or they couldn't listen, they didn't get it. So let's not be these guys. Let's not let it go in one ear and out the other. Verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. You know, uh, we, uh, Jesus, knowing what's going on with the, with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, he, 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 you know, knowing that this man in the shriveled hand there, knowing that they would know he would see him, and they're all wondering what would do, Jesus has the guy stand up in front of everyone. Remember last week I talked about my friend Jason who always just sort of went too far? Here it is again. Jesus just has no problem picking a fight. He knew what was going on and why they were there and what the, what the conflict was about and what they were examining, what they were looking for him to do. And so he just says, fine, I'll do it in front of all of you. Let's just go ahead and do this. Let's just make this public. Let's not hide this in the shadows. We're going to just flat out deal with this right here right now i think with jesus sometimes there's a fatigue factor he, he you know there's only so many times you can tell somebody something and and know they're not listening to you before you finally go what do i gotta do to get you to hear me and i think that's happening here jesus is at this point where he's just like 
I'm so tired of this. Get up. Let's just end this right now. Let's pick this battle. Let's fight this fight right now. Sometimes as a Christian, we have to challenge the status quo. Now, it happens in our relationships. It really does. Marriages, it happens. There's a time in every marriage where one spouse or the other has to challenge the status quo. There's a time in every friendship where one friend or the other has to challenge the status quo. This is true in the world, but it's even more so as Christians. We are calling each other higher. We want to help each other get to heaven. And there is a point in time where, where we have to challenge each other. We have to be willing to say the difficult thing, to put it out there on the line. In hope and in love that the person will listen. Because it's gone on for too long, or whatever the case may be, or it's a very serious matter, and we've got to get the person to listen. I appreciate that Jesus does that, that he sets an example for you and I, that it's okay, it's okay to knock each other on the head and go, are you listening? You've got to pay attention here. This is important. So, I have two questions for you. And you know, you know the answer to this. You've heard it before, but do two wrongs ever make a right? Of course not, right? Two wrongs are not going to ever make a right. But I have another question. Do two rights ever make a wrong? I think the answer is the same. If there's two right things, they're not wrong. Where am I going with this? Well, I think the Pharisees, if we could give them any kind of credit, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, let's give them a little bit of credit. They wanted to protect the law of Moses. They wanted to uphold the law. Now, we know they got off the rails and they got wacky. I mean, when you have 1,500 laws just for one law, that's wacky. I mean, imagine that vehicle code, right? <laughs> Here's the law, and then there's 1,500 other pages you know, of laws that, that follow. We get that. But, but to give them some kind of credit, we got to appreciate at least that they were trying to protect the law. The challenge was is they were doing it at the expense of benefiting other people. And so in this case, this poor man whose quality of life was severely affected by whatever was wrong with his hand could not be healed because of their zeal to protect the law. In, in other words, they, had, they, made, they made honoring the law mutually exclusive with benefiting another person. And Jesus didn't see it that way. He saw honoring the law and benefiting other people as both doable. They both can happen. These two rights can't be wrong. So keeping the law and benefiting others go hand in hand. They work together. They're not in conflict. But we, in our humanity, sometimes find conflict with these two, these two truths. I'll tell you a story. One time, years and years ago, and it's embarrassing, to my shame, I was driving to a meeting of the, the church. I forget what it was. It was a, some sort of meeting and it was really important that i be there i wanted to make a i think i wanted to you know be on time and make a good presence and you know show myself to be a good uh, uh supporter of whatever the meeting was about and all that and on my way i saw a person in trouble on the side of the road it was a busy area it wasn't like i was out in the desert and it was all alone but but uh and i thought to myself i should probably help that person but then i thought well i can't be late to the meeting 
And so, unfortunately, I chose to just, ah, somebody else will do it, and I went to the meeting. And it has bothered me ever since. And I think the reason why is because I put this conflict, I created a conflict that doesn't need to be there. I made it sound like I had to, I had to choose between two good things. When the reality is they were both good, I could have done them both. I could have pulled over. I could have helped the person. And yeah, I might have been late, but I was still going to be at the meeting. I mean, are we going to be that technical? And if the person led the meeting and said, hey, bro, why are we late? I could have said, well, somebody needed help. I stopped to help them. What are they going to say? You shouldn't have done that? Well, they would look a lot like these guys if they did that. So what am I trying to tell you? What's the takeaway? And how does this help me be a better listener? I want you to hear this. This is the takeaway. If you want to be a better listener, you've got to expect more of yourself. I think sometimes our standards are too low. And we find ourselves, when we're just trying to meet the minimum, we find ourselves creating um, uh, 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 controversies. Should I do this or should I do that? They're two good things. Well, let me ask you this. How about doing both? Have you ever considered maybe raising the bar? Actually trying, going above and beyond, pushing yourself to do more. You know, there's something awesome about that. When we challenge ourselves and we raise our expectations on ourselves, Jesus has a way of blessing that spirit, of blessing that heart. And yeah, there are going to be times where it's a tough choice. But we can choose both. Two, two rights don't ever make a wrong. And so I don't know what, how this might play out in your life. I can't think of everybody's life, but I can tell you how Jesus put it in a parallel story, the same story as recorded by, by Matthew. Matthew told this same story, and he added this statement of Jesus right after Jesus said this one. Ma Matthew tells us he said this. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. In other words, it's okay to do to help someone and honor the Sabbath. Both goods can be accomplished if you would only raise your expectations on yourself. That's a challenge. And how does that relate to listening? Well, if I don't expect myself to be called higher by Jesus, if I don't go into it knowing that he's going to challenge me, then I'm not going to listen to the challenge. There's a certain degree of why are we here? Why do I even do all this? Well, I'm being called to something better than myself. I've got to be at least willing to listen to that. I've got to be at least, at least willing to, to, to go, to, to, to grow, to be better, to be a better version of myself today than I was yesterday and tomorrow than I was today. I mean, isn't that what we're trying to do? I mean, I don't think any of us wants to just be the same all the time. Just never grow, never change. So if we want to be a better listener, we're going to need to expect more from ourselves because Jesus expects it. He had no problem. Of course you get the animal out of the pit. What are you talking about? And of course you heal somebody. What are you talking about? This is a no-brainer. Next verse, verse 5. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. You know, this is the only time in the Gospel of Mark, and one of the only few times in all of the Bible, 
that Jesus is described as being angry. And in, in, in fact, there's another mention of the word anger in the Gospel of Mark, but it's not really, it was poorly translated into the English. It actually should have been more like, uh, in, you know, compassion or a word like that. But it was translated anger. In this case, it really is anger. This is maybe the only instance. Some of us that know the, the story of Jesus know that he whipped the, the money changers out of the temple. It doesn't say he was angry. Now, he may have looked angry, I guess, and maybe he was. I'm not arguing that he was or wasn't. But my point is, is that anger was a, was a unique emotion with Jesus. It wasn't something he felt all the time or carried around with everywhere he went. And the reality is anger is a very tough emotion to get right. In the, the Bible, in the NIV, the, the word anger is mentioned over 260 times. And I have done a, a, a study of it personally, where I've read every verse that had the word anger in it and every story that had even a hint of anger in the story. My own personal study one time, I did that. And I can tell you this with, very, with a, a high, high degree of confidence. That of all those, those stories in the Bible of anger and the uses of the word anger, virtually none of them suggest that anger is a good idea. Let me just share two, two scriptures. Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, a lot of people will read this verse and go, okay, see, it's okay to be angry, just don't sin. But actually, it's the opposite, I think, is what he's saying. He's saying, when you get angry, don't sin. In other words, anger is dangerous. Red flag, minefield, you're in trouble. When you get to the point of anger, you got to be very, very careful. This is not a... A, a, uh, an admonishment to be angry. This is actually a, a caution about anger. But sometimes, and I've heard this taught to me, I've heard it taught uh, in church that, hey, it's okay to be angry. Actually, the Bible says the opposite. Look at what it says in James. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anger is a tough emotion. We do have it. It happens. I would, I would be lying if I said it didn't. We all experience it. But I can tell you, in all the stories of the Bible, they are almost all cautionary tales. And every one of them are cautionary tales about human anger. Now, Jesus was human, but he was also God. And he got the anger right, not because he was human, but because he's God. The God side of him can get the anger right. You and I don't have that. Contrary to what your mother told you your entire life, you do not have that God side. And so anger is treacherous, it's dangerous, it's something we got to be extremely careful of. I put before you, if we want to be a good listener, we got to watch our anger. we got to be very careful with what makes us angry. So what can we learn about getting anger right? What, what, is, 
What does this story tell us about the anger of Jesus? Well, I got three things that I want you just to note, and then we'll move on. The first thing was, is Jesus' anger was, was, and this is going to sound funny, but it was rooted in his love for the Pharisees who were in sin and the man who was troubled by the shriveled hand. His anger was, was a, was a, came from a place of love for people, both sides, both people, both parties. The second thing is his anger was temporary. It says he looked around him in anger, and then he went to deep distress. It was very quick, went from anger to distress. The word distress in the dictionary is defined as anxiety, sorrow, or pain. Another word that we could, that we could put in here is, is compassion. So his anger turned into compassion. So there's three ways in which we can think about ourselves when we become angry. Is it coming from a place of love? And if you're honest, you and I probably both would agree that almost never does it come from a place of love, at least not for other people. Maybe a love for ourselves, but not necessarily for other people. Number two, our anger is usually not temporary like Jesus. Our anger usually broods and stews and and lingers and remains. And then we we walk around with a low-grade anger. And then three, his anger quickly became compassion. It became distress over people in trouble, people in need. That's not the whole story on anger, but those are three good reference points. Because what we're talking about is how to be a good listener. And our anger stops us from listening. That's what James says. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Because anger interrupts our ability to listen. So we've got to be very careful. If we want to be a good listener, we need to get our anger in check. Is it temporary? Is it coming from a place of compassion? Is it out of love? Next thing. We'll close out here, verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This sentence basically summarizes all five of the little story, the little vignettes that we've been reading about why the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus. And this is kind of how Mark ends this section of his gospel. This is the end result of what the Pharisees did. After seeing Jesus say, your your sins are forgiven, but then the paralytic got up and walked out in front of everyone. After seeing Jesus embrace those people who were considered unclean and call them to be better and and to love them. After seeing Jesus not fasting like everyone else, but trying to do something totally new, something different. After seeing Jesus teaching on the, the right way to honor the Sabbath and not to get caught up in the details. All of that. And then it ends it with him healing a man on the Sabbath, doing good for someone. They walk out with this. How do we kill him? It's pretty mind-blowing how, how out there they were. But it's pretty mind-blowing how out there you and I can be. We can come up with some crazy things and some crazy, crazy ideas and crazy re- re- reactions because we don't listen. Because things go in one ear and out the other. We're not actually tuning in and listening so jesus throughout the rest of the book of mark basically lit you know it's his whole his whole ministry is under a cloud of potential arrest 
In other words, it became a little scary to be a follower of Jesus because there were people out to get you. And there were people out to get Jesus. Which brings me to the last thing I want to say about uh, anger. I mean, about, about listening. It takes courage. We got to listen even when, when there's a threat over our head. We still got to figure out how to listen. When we're talking about listening to God, obviously this could apply in any relationship, but specifically, how do we listen to God better? Well, we got to be courageous. We got to be willing to hear what he has to say, even when it's unpopular. I was reading in the newspaper, and I'm not making a political statement. Everybody catch that? Okay, don't throw anything at me. But I was reading this article about chalk drawings on university campuses. You know, people will, uh, they'll write down their favorite presidential candidate. Literally, that's all it said was, you know, I won't even say a name so you don't even know, right? But so-and-so 2016. And there is an uproar on the campus. And they're passing laws that you're not allowed to write in chalk on the sidewalk. Remember the thing we used to do as kids? Hopscotch. You can't do that now. Because somebody gets upset if you write your candidate and it's not their candidate. That's how ridiculous it's becoming in our, in our culture. Where people are literally just covering their ears. They don't want to hear anything that doesn't line up with what they already believe to be true. They only want to hear their story and their message and their candidate and and their view of the world and their take on society and all that goes with it. And they literally cover their ears. If you don't listen, if you don't have the courage to listen, you can't get better. You You can't grow. You can't understand the other person. And you'll never understand God. If you just cover your ears and refuse to to listen to anything he's telling you because it somehow doesn't fit with what you want it to be, with with your predisposed or your predetermined perspective. And that is exactly what led the Pharisees to walking out of the room and deciding he's got to die. One final point. It says that they plotted with the Herodians. And just so you know, The Herodians, who are they? Well, the Herodians were supporters of Herod. Herod was the appointed king over Palestine, or most of Palestine, appointed there by the Romans. Okay? So Herod had some supporters. He had people that were on his team because it was politically advantageous for them, or maybe they liked him or whatever, but they were his supporters. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Pharisees and the Herodians were basically sworn enemies because the Pharisees, in their zeal, for Israel, believed that Palestine should only be ruled by, by Jewish rule. And because Herod was installed by the Romans, any supporter of Herod was by default supporting a pagan uh, 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 ruler. And so they, they, they hated each other. The Pharisees, at best, looked at the Herodians as collaborators with the enemy. They were as unclean as anybody unclean. And they plotted with the Herodians. This is how absurd, this is how far we go when we can't even listen anymore. How far have you gone in your life? How far have you gone? Maybe yesterday. Because you're just just covering your ears. You don't want to hear what God has to tell you. 
you can end up in some, with some strange bedfellows. You can end up with some strange allies that you would never, ever think you would be with. But because you stop listening, because you're not good at it, you don't let God's word speak to you. It goes in one ear and out the other. Here you go. You find yourself in some pretty compromised positions. And that's exactly what happened with the Pharisees. So I started off and I was telling you about this uh, hunting trip that these preachers went on. The preacher and the doctor and the lawyer went on and, and the game warden proved without a shadow of a doubt that it was the preacher, right, that hit the, that hit the buck because the bullet went in one ear and right out the other. Let's not be like that. Let's not give Jesus more trouble than he already has trying to get through to us. Let's do our best to be good listeners. Amen? We're going to stand. We're going to close with a prayer. And then Phil's going to come up and lead us in song.